Let me start with a quote. It's easy to be happy if you've got something to look forward to. Uh, these are the words from uh, an interview, this uh, comedian that me and Pippa, uh, we watched a, a while back. It's easy to be happy if you've got something to look forward to. And then she went on, she said, it doesn't really matter what it is. It could be something big, it could be something small. As long as you've got something to look forward to, you can be happy. And in one sense, I think she's onto something here. There's, a, there's something true about that statement, isn't there? When we can't wait to go on holiday, or we look forward to, to seeing an old friend, or we look forward to that, that parcel arriving, or that phone call, whatever it is, that there are things we look forward to. But at the same time, she said, it doesn't matter what. And I think that's where she perhaps hasn't quite got it right. It does matter what you look forward to. Because otherwise, things, they, they, they don't really last, do they? We get back from our holidays and we think, well, what do I do now? We say goodbye to our old friends and, and we feel sad about that. Whatever we get in the post doesn't quite live up to the expectations we have. The fact is that, that, that worldly happiness does not last. It does not last. It's never enough. Uh, and I think, so I think it really matters what we look forward to. And there's only really one thing we find lasting happiness, lasting joy. And that's, that's the gospel. That's, that's the love of, of Jesus. Every Sunday we come together, we seek to remind each other of his love for us, of his grace. We reflect on our sin, we reflect on how lost we are without him. We reflect on the, the grace and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. For those who believe in him, for those who trust, it's such good news. And that's what, that's what paves the way really for us to find the happiness and the satisfaction that we need in our lives. It's, the, it's what the world craves, but the world cannot find it. It's only found in Jesus. It's easy to kind of say that at the start of a new year. But it can be really hard to make sense of when life is difficult, when we face pain or persecution or trial. We tend to forget, don't we, what we can look forward to and we focus on the here and now. Uh, and it distracts us and it gets on top of us and it can overwhelm us. And that's why I thought this is a really good passage for us to look at. At the start of this new year, 2022, it would be really good to sort of look up, to look ahead, to remind ourselves of the, the glorious future that we look forward to as believers. So we come to the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is a book full of prophecies that explain the return of Jesus. And it's really complicated and it's quite confusing. And we tend to avoid it because it's really hard to explain. I've kind of cheated. I've got, I've come to an, uh, one of the more easy passages in the book. But there's lots of, there's lots of things to pull out here. We're going to look at some of the headlines this afternoon. The headlines that we can draw out from this passage. Uh, rather than getting too deep into the numbers and the symbolism that's here. In terms of context, we have a look at the end of chapter 20. In verses 11 through to, to 15, we see Satan finally defeated. We see him being cast into this lake of fire to face torments. And then the judgment of everyone takes place. All those who reject Jesus face their judgment, face their punishments. It's a really stark warning. It's really severe. But then we get this, then I saw. What happens next? We, 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 get, we get this amazing picture of what, what happens next for those trusting in Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at two amazing truths and then two incredible consequences 
this afternoon. Here's the first amazing truth. Everything will be made new. Everything will be made new. In fact, that's what that's what he who sits on the throne says in verse 5. I am making everything new. Now when Jesus met his disciples uh, after his resurrection, his body was similar, but it was also different. He, it was no longer fallen. It was no longer deteriorating and perishing. It was perfect and new and eternal. And really that is the pattern that is set out for the future. Everything will be made new. In verse 1 of chapter 21, we see a new heaven and a new earth, promised all the way back in Isaiah, as Jonathan reminded us. A physical place, a real place, somehow familiar, but so much better than what we know now. C.S. Lewis helpfully describes it as if the world we experience now is like a shadow. And you look at a shadow, don't you, and you sort of see, it kind of looks like the thing, you kind of get an idea from a shadow of, of what something is, but then you look at the actual object and you realise the clarity and the, the depth and the, the, the beauty of it. It's just, our current reality is but a shadow of the new creation. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's really different, isn't it, to, to what the world tells us that heaven is going to be like. Any picture is kind of like soft fluffy clouds and halos and harps uh, and lots of Philadelphia cheese. Is that what you're expecting heaven to be like? Just lots of cheese and crackers? It's it's this incredible, vast vision of of beauty, of newness. And our bodies too will be made new. Similar to Jesus. As we ourselves are resurrected. It says in 1 Corinthians 15. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It never goes off eternal, forever. Now that is really encouraging, isn't it? As we consider our bodies uh, full of aches and pains, in need of medication, our bodies wear out. From the youngest to the oldest here, our bodies, they they deteriorate. Now some things we we buy, don't we, and we expect them to last. Maybe a really expensive watch, like a Rolex, that you think, this is going to be in my family for generations. Well, if that's the case, our bodies are more like the kind of one-pound watch that you'd get in a kinder surprise. They wear out, they don't last. But God will make all things new. We can look forward to that uh, when when we feel the kind of difficulties of that. Now, all creation, everything will be made new. And then we see in verse 2, we have that the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out uh, of heaven, coming from God, prepared as a bride for her husbands. And a, quite a lot of the chapter is describing this, uh, this city. In verses 9 through to 27, we get this amazing picture of what the city is going to be like. Now there's a huge amount of symbolism we could explore, we could go deep. I'm sure there are books written about it. But let's try and draw out the key, th- the key thing, or the big thing we need to notice about this city is that it's perfect. This is a perfect city. You've got the, the 12 gates, you've got the 12 foundations, you've got the kind of cubic dimensions. It's, it's all set out to be perfect. It's full of precious stones. The streets are made of gold. It's pure, it's perfect. It comes from God. So what's it talking about? Is this going to be some sort of literal city where we all live in the future? I don't think we have to take it like that. 
it's a picture. The, the key thing again to note, remember this is talking about the bride. This is, and, and when the language uses that word, the bride uh, of the Lamb, it's the word, it's, it's one of the ways that, that the Bible describes God's people and the church. And that's what it's, that's what it's, it's trying to show us. We've got this amazing picture of the unity of the church. You've got the 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament, God's people. And you've got the New Testament, the 12 apostles, God's people from all of time coming together to be with God in the end. And they will be perfect. They will be purified by God. So that's the point. It's coming down out of heaven, coming from God. We, we can't purify ourselves, but God can. God achieves that through, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we have this, this amazing picture of the perfect church, God's people together, uh, being with God. It's, a, it's an amazing thing if you reflect on that. Well, surely that's also helpful for us to reflect on and remember at the start of a new year. Uh, it's been really good to, to join you as a, as a church, to join KCC. But I'm aware already that we, we're not perfect. I'm sure you're seeing that in me, and we see it in each other, don't we? we? We are sinners. We're a bunch of broken people in need of Jesus. We're not perfect. And maybe you're aware of that. Maybe you've experienced difficulties in church in the past or even now. Whether it's broken relationships or or our old grudges, past hurts. Maybe you despair at the lack of change in people and the lack of change in, in yourself, in myself. Do you see there's hope here in this passage? Because we know that when Christ returns, we will be made perfect. We will be united with this one church of all believers. It inspires us to, to remember, yes, the unity that we long for, it will come. And it, it drives us forward. It says, keep going now. Keep growing. Keep striving on for that goal that we look forward to. Everything will be made new. And then secondly, we will live with God. We will live with God. Look at verse 3, chapter 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't that a glorious, glorious verse? It's the kind of culmination of the Bible story. God has made a way for us to, to live with him and for us to be his people. This is permanent. This is forever. This is what we look forward to uh, as believers. We see that in verse 7. This is true for those who overcome, who persevere, who persist as believers to the end, who don't give up on Jesus when things get difficult. They're the ones who become God's children. Whether we have faced serious, severe persecution in our lives or not, the, the original readers of Revelation probably were facing great difficulty there. Whether or not that's the case for us, we, we've got to remember that hope that he has given us. The hope we have because of Christ. That, the hope that enables us to persevere to the end. Not just to kind of coast along in our Christian life, but strive to grow in our love and our obedience and our, our worship of God. You see, it's worth it. Do you see that in this passage? To live with God. You just scan through those verses in 9 to 27. Look at the difference it makes to the city that God is there. In verse 11 it says, The whole city shines with his glory. 
God is like the sun. He shines out his glory. We want to be like the moon, don't we? Kind of reflecting that. But when he returns, the church will shine with God's glory. And then in verse 22, we see there's no temple. God is its temple. And it's just an amazing thing to, to reflect on. Uh, if you remember, just a few weeks ago, we were looking at the end of Mark, and we looked at the, the, the death of Jesus. And when he died, the, te- the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was, it, it was ripped apart. And the holy of holy place, the place where, where no one could go, because it was such a holy place, kind of representing God's presence with the people, suddenly it was opened up. There was a way to God again. And what's quite, quite amazing is if you go to um, 1 Kings, you look at the temple, the holy of holy places was kind of, the dimensions of it were, was a cube. It was, it was cubic in dimension. And then you come to Revelation 21 and you look at this perfect holy city and you realize it's a giant cube, the, the picture. And we see somehow that this is showing us God's people are now with God. You know, that holy of holiest place, that place of purity and beauty, God's people are with him. Isn't that staggering? That there's no need for a temple. The glory of God fills that whole city. And then in verse 23 we read, the sun and the moon, they're no longer important. God's glory is the thing that gives it light. And we gaze at the sun, don't we? And we're blinded by it. If we look at it for a second... God's glory just incomparably greater than that and yet we will be with him we will live with him forever I think it's, it's too amazing isn't it we can't really get our heads around how, how staggering it will be but there's no doubt that it's something to look forward to remember I began with that quote it's easy to be happy if we have something to look forward to but it doesn't work with just anything does it the only thing that, that, that gives us that deep satisfaction that deep joy and happiness is resting in the grace of Jesus. Is looking forward to living with God forever. It stops us having to, to compare ourselves to other people. Uh, and, you, you know, if people are doing better than us or, or they've got better things or better families, nicer jobs, all these things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we go through now because we know the future will be greater, more glorious. The Apostle Paul said this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a staggering statement, isn't it? To live is Christ and to die is gain. That comes from really deeply knowing what the future holds for him. Isn't that, that amazing? Could, would, could you say that today? I was challenged about this as I was preparing, thinking... But actually, you know, I want to see my children grow up. I want to spend more time with my wife. I I want to spend time with you as a church. I don't want to die yet. Actually, but no. You look at this passage and think, to die is gain. To live with God forever. There is nothing better than that. I was challenged by that. So let me encourage you to to read this again, to keep going back to this. And and keep praying it in until it kind of hits home. This is where you're heading if you're trusting in Jesus. What a reason to rejoice every day. Two amazing truths there. And now more briefly, two incredible consequences of this. Here's the first one. Evil will be banished. Evil will be banished. 
This is the logical consequence of God's perfect new creation. The perfect church of his people. It means there will be no evil. And we see that in verse 8. It says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is where it gets serious. There's no more chances. Anyone who, who has rejected Jesus faces justice, faces this, this awful punishment. And I hate to talk about it, but it is the reality of what the Bible teaches. In verse 27 at the end, we see again there can be nothing impure in God's kingdom. And it's hard to talk about, isn't it? We want to talk about the God of love. But actually God is, God, because God is loving, God is also a God of judgment. You don't have one without the other. Because actually God's justice, we see ultimately, is a good thing. It's actually something to look forward to. I know it sounds strange, but, but if you just think about it. Think about the, the reality of living with God and suddenly there's no more anger. No more hatred. No more lies. No more rape. No more adultery. No more abuse. No more pornography. No more abortion. No more bribery. No more pride. No more selfishness. No more murder. No more witchcraft. No more materialism. No more sin. I could go on and on. How could we not long for a day like that where these things will be no more? And anyone who maybe has died without facing earthly justice for, for, the, for what they have done, we know that God is, is just and fair. So it is something to look forward to because we can rejoice that, that these things will be no more. But if you're not trusting Jesus, then I can't avoid, we can't avoid the reality that this passage is a serious warning. You've seen, you, you've heard the consequences of what happens to those who reject Jesus. The only way is having your name written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, Jesus' book of life. And that comes when you come to him in repentance and faith, where you, you trust him alone to save you. So let me urge you today, if that's you, to turn to him, to find out that hope, that the promise of the future, the love that you can have in Christ. Come to him before it's too late. For, for many of us, though, I wonder if it, it ends up feeling a bit like a nice holiday where someone else is paying for. I don't know if, if you've ever experienced that. You know, you're being spoiled and everything has been paid for already. And you think, well, how am I going to earn this? How am I going to pay this back? How am I ever going to say thank you? Is that what heaven kind of feels like to you? It's so amazing. How could it possibly be free? It must have cost a fortune. So we think, surely I've got to earn it with a good life. I've got to make sure that I've done enough to kind of prove myself and, and earn my place in heaven. But the Bible is very clear on that as well, that we, it's nev- we can never do enough to earn this. And it did cost a fortune. It cost the life of, of God's perfect son. And he did that. He died in our place to give us this eternal life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be free. Whether we're Christians or not, we need to understand that, that actually this is a, a free gift of God's. His grace, this is something we, we just accept, we, we recognize we cannot do it ourselves. We come to him 
and trust him alone to save us. What an amazing gift to think about. No doubt much better than any of the gifts we've, we've received or given over Christmas. That's one of the consequences. Here's the second. No more suffering and no more death. I don't know what the, way, the worst pain is that you have ever experienced. Maybe it was a physical, a physical pain. Living with some, some horrible illness or some condition. Going through chemotherapy. Breaking some, some, some bone and just being in, in horrible pain. Our bodies are broken up and we, we experience that. Maybe it's emotional pain. When we've experienced the death of, of a loved one. Or seeing our, our parents growing frailer, growing older. Losing a child. Maybe it's just feeling totally alone. Like, like you've just got no one there for you at all in the world. Maybe it's a marriage that faces disaster. Maybe it's other broken relationships. Maybe it's just the, the trials and the suffering that you've been through. We do face the consequences of sin, don't we? As we live in this world, we know what, what, what we are moving towards, that each and every one of us will die. And it's, it's an awful thing. It brings so much pain. It brings so much grief. That's why we have to come to passages like this. These passages, they lift our eyes up. They, they, they lift our focus. Look at verse 4. This is a, an incredible verse. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It is a special thing, isn't it? To wipe someone's tear from their eye. I do that for my children when they're sad. But we look forward to a day where God is going to wipe the tears from our eyes. When we will never experience pain or mourning or suffering again. It won't exist anymore. It seems so far off, doesn't it? Distant from what we experience in our lives today, we suffer in so many ways. But because of Jesus, we have hope. We hold on to that hope. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. Paul could say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because it has been defeated by Jesus. If we trust in him, we know that death is not the end. We know that we will live with God forever. We will drink from the waters of life, as it says in verse 6. He will wipe away every tear. In verse 25, it tells us the city will never close its gates. There's no longer any night. There's no trouble coming for this city. There's no need for security. There's no threat from evil. Just life forever with God. This joyful unity as we worship the King. So I don't know what sort of pain and and suffering or difficulty that you're experiencing at the minute. Maybe it is really hard. I hope this passage can just help you just to just to lift your head and, and remember the hope that you have if you're trusting in Jesus. That there will be a day where there will be no more pain, no more suffering. There will be a day where God himself will wipe the tears from your eyes. He will fill your heart with joy, fill your heart with thankfulness. It's good news, such good news, isn't it, for the start of a new year. Everything will be made new. We will live with God. Evil will be banished. There will be no more suffering, no more death. Look forward to it. Look forward to it this year. Let these truths be the thing that that gives you joy in the midst of of difficulty because of what Jesus has achieved for you. I hope this passage has been helpful in just encouraging you to, to keep going this year. 
it's the, the, when the evenings are dark, it, it can, we can just feel a bit flat, can't we? And uh, at the end of a difficult year, as Jonathan reminded us, we've looked back and it's not been the year we wanted. And we think, oh, another year, is it going to be any better? This passage says, keep going, keep pressing on, keep striving on in our, our love for Jesus because of what the future holds for us who trust him. Don't let yourself become complacent and kind of tangled in sin. We have the Holy Spirit to help us fight against that. We're striving to, to grow and love God more, to obey him more closely, to share the gospel with others. We're going to be thinking about that in the coming year too. How we do that, how we can share our faith with those around us. So let's leave today. If we're trusting Jesus, we have that security, secure in the salvation of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We'll be sharing in, in the Lord's Supper uh, soon. That's a reminder of the unity that we have. And we look forward to the greater unity uh, of, of life forever with God. That, that's part of what we're doing as we, we share the, the bread and juice together. Keep looking forward to that so that you do not lose hearts. It's worth whatever, whatever pain we go through now. We know we have that great, glorious future to look forward to. Should we pray? Let's give thanks. Lord, thank you for providing this passage to just to reassure us and give us hope in the midst of dark evenings and, and difficult days. We know what a great future you have promised us. And thank you that your promises are trustworthy and true, that we can hold on to them. Father, I pray that you be with those of us who are following you, that, that you would encourage us and equip us and strengthen us to, to, to keep pressing on, trusting in your grace. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not know you, I pray that they would have seen something in these verses that, that, that is just urging them to call out to you and put their faith in you. Just pray that you'd be at work in, in each of our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.